0: I will say that the wildest journey you'll ever go on is to get in touch with your unique gift, your unique essence, your unique medicine, and then start expressing it in the world. And in some very strange and fascinating and beautiful way, when we we find that and we start sharing it, we are deeply connected with that same creative force that is the natural world.
1: Do you ever think to yourself, I'll take action on this thing that's really important to me when I know exactly what the next step is? The truth is, that's not how it works. When you go on a journey to discover a part of yourself that is yet undiscovered, the first thing you do is go without knowing. Just do what you know to do today, one step at a time. This is one of the most important teachings that I've taken away from Boyd Vardy a Lion Tracker, and the author of Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of an episode that was recorded in November 2020. It is one of those timeless episodes that is so powerful and so potent and has so many really palpable transmissions on connecting to your own nature, connecting to your own knowing, releasing any brain manufactured and societal conditioning, manufactured complexities, and trusting the nature that is within you, trusting the way that feel the most authentic to you and showing up in your life, in your business, and creative self-expression in the world. Since this podcast originally aired, I have experienced a whole new context for what Boyd and I discuss in here. And I wanted to share some of that with you and take you on a journey with me to the African Savannah. A year ago, I was in a healing journey with a group of close friends, and one of the messages that I got in it was to take action and get married to my longtime fiancé, Eric. We had been engaged for two years And I kept not feeling fully ready to take the step of actually solidifying it with marriage, saying yes to the name change and to this partnership. And once in my gut, it was a clear yes on moving forward. We started thinking, we started dreaming, what would it look like? What does it feel like? How do we want to celebrate this event? And because it was the middle of lockdowns and There weren't really many options of doing it in person. I thought to myself, okay, what is the wildest possibility? What is the wildest adventure that would encapsulate and embody the adventure that we not only want to go for the marriage, for the ceremonial event, but for the partnership, the marriage and the family that we're building and what we're co-creating in the world as a couple, as a family. And with the support of my dear friend Hillary Pearson, who is an Akashic Records reader, who has been a guest on this podcast as well, she really helped us energetically tap into this vision of what it would look like to go for the wild idea, to let go of any shoulds or societal norms or what families might expect from us, and just truly go with the vision of co-creating this with spirit. Go with the vision of what feels the most alive and joyful and expansive. And as soon as I allowed myself to go there, my answer was, I would like to get married at Londolozi. Londolozi is a South African game reserve that is pioneering not only conservation, but restoration of land, the animals, and human hearts. And Londolozi is exactly where my guest Boyd Vardy grew up and the place that he speaks of. Making this decision to get married Alain Delozy was one of the most incredible leaps I've ever taken in my life. It seemed crazy to many, but it felt so right to me. There were so many obstacles along the way of being able to get on the plane and have all the right documentation at the time. There were definitely moments of sitting at JFK Airport with my wedding dress on my arm and being told that we can't board the flight because we need another test to be able to board and thinking to myself, did I bite more than I can chew? Did I dream too big? Do I need to shrink my vision a little bit so it's more normal and acceptable and realistic? But even through all of those nervous breakdowns and stress, I held the vision. I somehow found the courage within myself to hold it. And the next day I was sitting in a Land Rover next to my husband, Eric, next to our tracker and our safari guide watching the sunset and watching a herd of elephants approach and surround us and feel so comfortable with us and really allow us to be in their presence and take in their wisdom, their majesty, their knowing. Elephants have always been one of my favorite animals and to be in the presence of a wild elephant and experience this pure being this pure aliveness this pure expression of who they are in nature and the role that they play within nature within their herd ah oh, that was one of the top memories of my entire life the wedding was a dream and we had so many beautiful encounters with lions and wildebeest and zebras and a baby giraffe it was one of the top experiences of my entire life for sure I also had an experience at the Londolozy Healing House where within a healing massage session, I felt that there was a presence that came into the room and lifted me off the table and it was a life force that is beyond words that just, if I were to try to put into words, it took over my whole being and plugged me into remembering of my spirit. It swooped me away with the full force of what my spirit is and what it's capable of and then gently, well at the time it didn't seem so gentle, dropped me back into my body and when I came out all I could do is cry in this remembering and cry in this presence to the forgiveness that was necessary for me to move forward as an integrated spirit in a human body Showing up in the world and taking in the full spectrum of the human experience. I shared more about that specific healing experience and that activation on my friend Allison Charles's Ceremony Circle podcast. So if you're curious, check it out. Allison holds such a beautiful space, and it was one of my favorite interviews of all time. During our time at Londolozi, I also made it very clear to our safari guide and our tracker that I would love to see the treehouse that Boyd talks about, where he spent 40 days and 40 nights, which is the podcast we reference quite a bit in this upcoming interview. And one morning, they surprised me and Eric by taking us there and creating this beautiful breakfast in the treehouse. It was one of those moments of feeling like I'm in a movie set, feeling like, wow how did this go from a vision, from a wild dream in my imagination to reality? Taking a deep breath into the presence of this moment and taking in all the nature sounds and remembering that I am part of nature too and remembering that I too belong. The land at L'Andalozzi is very, very special. It's one of the most potent lands I have ever been grateful to step my feet on. The people who are attracted to it, people who work there, are very special humans. One of my favorite things about being at L'Andalosi was connecting to the people who work there because it takes a very special kind of human to work there, a human who is deeply committed to nature outside of us, but also to nature within us. and the food was also incredible. If you're a foodie like me, it was mind-blowing. Every single meal was just next level. So I just wanted to put that out there. So if you are considering going on a very, very special trip of a lifetime, Londolosi is such a special place to consider. Not only it is a restorative and healing experience for you, but also it shows you the specific impact that you can make by staying there, saving rhinos, providing opportunities to local Shangan people who work there, helping restore the land and support this oasis that brings endangered animals and helps humans protect them. There's people who are 24-7 watching the borders of the property to make sure that wild animals stay safe from poaching. It's a whole other conversation. In this conversation that's coming up with Boyd, I really want to invite you to connect to this idea that living differently is the activism of today, that stepping into the true nature of who you are and following your authentic track of your life is the most important contribution you can make. And everything else is bonus. Everything else is extra. The most important thing is you living your life to the fullest, being uniquely you, and trusting the track of your life. Before we dive into conversation with Boyd, I want to tell you a little bit more about him because his life track has definitely been quite unique and fascinating. Boyd Vardy is a literacy and wildlife activist, author of the memoir Cathedral of the Wild and the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life and he was born to a family of conservationists. He grew up on Londolozi Game Reserve in the South African wilderness, a place where man and nature strive for balance, where perils exist alongside wonders. Founded more than 90 years ago as a hunting ground, Londolozi was transformed into a nature reserve beginning in 1973 by Vardy's father and uncle, visionaries of the restoration movement but it wasn't a sanctuary just for animals. It was also a place for ravaged land to flourish again and for the human spirit to be restored. When Nelson Mandela was released after 27 years of imprisonment, he came to the reserve to recover. Since childhood, Boyd shared his home with lions, leopards, snakes, and elephants, and has spent his life in apprenticeship to the wisdom of nature. Boyd survived a harrowing black mamba encounter, a debilitating bout with malaria, even a vicious crocodile attack. But his biggest challenge was a personal crisis of purpose. As a university student, he studied psychology and ecology, supplementing his education by learning martial arts in Thailand, hiking through the jungles of Amazon, and apprenticing to a renowned tracker from the Shangan tribe, deepening his intimate knowledge of the natural world. Boyd grew up speaking the local language and learning the true meaning of coexistence between people and with nature. Boyd continues to, like a tracker, follow unconventional pathways. He has worked intensively over the past seven years in ceremonial spaces as an apprentice to a Peruvian shaman while generating his own system of coaching called Track Your Life, which draws lessons from the ancient art form of tracking to help people find more meaning, purpose, and motivation. At the core of his work is the impulse of life towards healing, wholeness, and wildness. He works both in the USA and South Africa to connect people to nature and to their own true inner nature. Boyd has a psychology degree from the University of South Africa. He's a certified master life coach, the author of two books, and a TED speaker. Boyd has spent the last 10 years refining the art of using wilderness as a place for deep introspection and personal transformation. If you haven't already, make sure you pick up his book, The Line Tracker's Guide to Life. It's one of those books that you want to revisit over and over. It's the kind of book that I was listening to on audio and kept needing to pull over my car so that I can take notes and take in what was said because it was so profoundly simple and yet so transformational. Here's my conversation with Boyd Vardy. Enjoy. And as always, let me know what you're taking away, what is moving you, and how you will implement what's moving you into your own life. My intention for this is to, ah, for as many people as possible to experience your magic, because I've had the pleasure of experiencing it in person once, and then actually a lot more deeply through your podcast. When the pandemic hit, I couldn't count minutes for the next episode of 40 days and 40 nights to drop. And it really helped guide the direction of my inner world and as a result, outer world through what this year has been. So there's just a lot to talk about and we'll let the divine lead the conversation so that wherever is meant to be said will be said. Welcome to Open Wired.
0: Oh thank you. What a what a pleasure to be reconnecting with you. And I'm so pleased to hear that you enjoyed This incredible journey that I went on—it it it has, you know—I'm still integrating parts of it, and I'm still, uh, I'm still every day realizing how much I learned living out in that tree.
1: So, for those who haven't listened to my recommendation to listen to your podcast, which I've spoken about multiple times on here, this is really an opportunity to go and revisit. And also, Boyd, will you just give us an idea of? How that arose, what it was, and where you are now post 40 days.
0: Sure. So, for a very long time, I have been fascinated by the archetypal journey of the mystic into nature. And, you know, if you read the literature and you start to look into it, there are over 40,000 accounts of people who. You know, how would you describe it? Those who had a longing for the mystery, who at some point went to be alone in nature. And so that's been a very deep idea for me. And I've always wanted to explore it, but it's one of those things, you know, life uh, to get 40 consecutive days. And the reason that I wanted 40 days and 40 nights was there's a little bit of a a biblical wink to it, although I'm, you know, I'm not anyway inclined religiously, but Jesus was meant to have gone to the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And so there was just, it was something I always wanted to do. And the reason I wanted to do it is I wanted to have that experience from the inside. I wanted to ask myself the question, why did the mystics go to nature and then go and answer it through pure experience? And of course, you know, life is busy, things keep coming up. And then suddenly it was 2020 and all of my work got canceled and I had to, I was in the United States. I had to run back to my home in South Africa. I live in in the wild Eastern part of South Africa. And, you know, it was one of those things where this thing that I'd been thinking about for years, suddenly here was the space to do it. And, you know, then it was like, okay, you can, you can have grand ideas about going and living alone in the wild for 40 days and 40 nights, but now here it is. And when you really think about that in modern life, like 40 days, absolutely alone, no social media, no radio, no, you know, no email, no nothing. 40 days of absolute solitude, just you and nature. And there was, you know, a mixture of like excitement. There was a mixture of like, wow, you know, what's it going to be like? There's a bit of anxiety in there, uh, but it was time. And I quickly started gathering myself. Not just my for stuff. you, boy. Yeah, for
1: listeners too. Every time I would wake up and I was like, what if there's no episode? What if you got eaten by a lion?
0: <laughs> I know, right? And you know, Ksenia, it's funny, like when you actually start to think about it, you know, and, and this is some of what the thoughts that went through my head before. Like when you're out in the wild, you wake up with the sun. So like 5 a.m., you're awake. And then, you know, I might make some coffee, do some stuff around the camp, go out into the bush for a while, go tracking, follow some animals, uh, you know, get back to the camp, do, do a workout, go for a run, um, go bird watching for a while. And it's like 9.15 in the morning. And, you know, just the scope of time that opens up. Was just like phenomenal, and just think like, okay, like what will my day be filled with? What what will I do? And what was amazing about it is just before I left, a friend of mine said to me, "Boy, you need to you need to stop thinking about what you will do. You need to be like an animal. You need to fall into a different rhythm." And it took a few days, and the ideas about what I have to be doing fell away, and I just got into this really beautiful, clear rhythm of being. And then I would, there would be some task that arose or some encounter that happened that I would know to like pay attention to. And then I would fall back into this very still being. And then I would, you know, get up and do something. And and it just took on its own rhythm. Um, And for the listeners, you know, I was living in this huge, uh, up in the branches of this huge big ebony tree on the banks of a river. The property that I was on is one of the largest game reserves in South Africa. It's privately owned land that then connects to the Kruger National Park. And so you're in a wilderness area about the size of Israel. It's just a huge, about 14 million acres. Uh, Lions, leopard, elephant, rhino, um, buffalo, crocodiles in the rivers, hippos, birds, over 300 bird species. You name it. And and that and I lived up in the branches and and because I know the natural world well, I would go exploring every day. And uh and I would say that and, and then I'll stop talking, I would say that there were a few phases to it, Ksenia. The first was a kind of um shedding. You know, I felt myself letting go of a lot of anxiety about all the things that I should be doing, all the things that I felt like were so important that I had to be involved in, you know, a kind of just a shedding and Uh, The Aboriginal people say that modern life is three days deep. And when you've been in nature for three days, you just feel a whole shift in what's important to you. Uh, So there was a period of shedding at first, and I felt myself becoming calmer and stiller. And then there was a phase that I called a tuning. And it was like my attention started to tune into the rhythm of the natural world. And I started to see differently. I started to feel my body's circadian rhythm changing. I started to feel my senses enhancing. And I really feel like as you start to put your attention on living things, you start to become more alive. And then there was a period of simplification. You know, all of the complexity of modern life, it it fell down into, it sort of, it stripped away into daily, simple rhythms and tasks. And I was so engaged in these tasks, everything from collecting firewood, to tracking animals, to building a shelter when the rain was coming, to cooking my own food, to just every one of these tasks was like tangible, and in washing my clothes in the river, it, I just I just felt so connected with life inside of that simplicity. And then the final phase was a kind of um, well, it was it was really like I started to see the I started to see the mystery, um, and that and in the final phase, really what what I started to realize is I was surrounded by this incredible natural intelligence and i was watching it unfold i was watching the way that everything was connected to everything and i and i started to feel very intricately connected to that and that's and that is that is actually what the deepest lesson that i came to is why the mystics went to nature it was to experience themselves as a part of this incredible unfolding intelligence and once you've known yourself inside of that once you've felt yourself as a part of that um, everything changes, and a very, a very deep feeling of belonging and stillness comes into you.
1: Hmm. I'm transported back to when I was listening to those episodes for the first time. Some of them multiple times. I made my fiance listen to some of them with me in the car, and uh, you know, it's one thing to be speaking about the mystery, the divine, spiritual practices and tools, but why your podcast struck me so much and how you're speaking now because this thing this unnameable is palpable it's right there and yeah it's honestly it's mind-blowing because we can spend so a lifetimes trying to find the right words but it's really that energy behind the words that's fueling it that really touches people's hearts those who are ready to receive
0: well thank you you know, and. What's so strange about it is you know one of the one of the mystics that I've always been inspired by was Saint Francis of Assisi and you know one of the amazing things about Saint Francis is that he was a renunciate he was born to a wealthy merchant family in the town of Assisi and at a certain age he felt such a deep longing in him for God and for nature that he literally walked into the town square and embarrassed his whole family by stripping all of his clothes off and walking out into the wilderness and taking in that moment taking a vow of poverty. And one of the strange things about St. Francis of Assisi is he was a man who took a vow of poverty who is still to this day the number one economic driver of the entire Assisi region. Millions and millions of euros and dollars are spent in CC because people go there to pilgrimage, to what, to encounter what he represented years later, you know, hundreds of years later. And what was strange for me is that I, I went into solitude. You know, I felt this deep call to go and be alone. And, and then a second part of it was a creative part. Like I, I did feel that I wanted to share it. And so I started producing these episodes and dropping them off where Uh, Someone could fetch them at the, what we call the tree mail.
1: Hey, can we speak about the technology of it for a moment? Because on the one hand, you're totally out in the wilderness, you know, with monkeys stealing your coffee pot. And on the other hand, you were able to publish every day. So what was that balance between no outside world and some outside world as well?
0: Yeah, well, it was really strange and and. It was strange. I was in solitude, but I was talking to more people than I had maybe ever spoken to, you know, um, as the podcast was beamed out every day. Yeah, it was, I felt creatively, all I had was a little uh, earphone, kind of like a sportscaster set and um, the recording device. That was It was super low tech in that respect. And every day I would just put it on. And if you listen to it, you know, every now and again, you hear a hippo honk in the background. And some days you hear the wind blowing. And some days you hear like, a bird calling right above. Um, and I would just, each morning, I would just reflect a little bit and make a few notes. And then I would just get on the microphone and just share with people and then take the, take this small um, memory card and walk it to a place uh, down the river and drop it off. And that's where people would come and pick it up every day. And so it was really simple, but um, it was a beautiful feeling. to fe- I, What it felt like to me is that I was picking up as I got stiller and quieter, I could feel the natural world was transmitting energy. And I, and those, that energy was going into me and becoming stories and becoming like an attempt to try and, and speak to what I was, um, encountering. And it was then it was traveling to people who were locked down all over the world. And I, to be honest with you, if the lockdown hadn't have happened, I don't think I would have done the podcast, but just before I w- went in, you know, maybe like a week before I went in, like the the, the world really started locking down. And I knew that people were going to be isolated and were going to, and I saw this as an opportunity, like a, a kind of knowing came to me that I could share nature with them, you know, in their apartment in Madrid or lockdown in um, New York. Or, you know, there's a real sense that like, because of where I live, I had an opportunity to be a voice for nature to people who were feeling very isolated. And so- at first, it was very much about me. It, like when I first came up with the idea, it was very much about me. But then once that started to happen, I felt like, okay, this is actually about sharing with people and, and creating like a, a contact point for people.
1: Speaking of nature, Boyd, who's in the background? What kind of bird?
0: Oh, uh, Sorry, these, this, that is a That's bird amazing. called a, a red-chested cuckoo. And um, it's a really beautiful thing, Ksenia, because they are migratory birds. And they arrive back just after the rains. Uh, they migrate up to Central Africa. And then they arrive in South Africa just after the, the rains here in late November, early December. But literally, like they arrive overnight. So one morning, you wake up, and they're calling, and they're back. And it's this wonderful feeling of this like, inter-African traveler who's come back to visit you.
1: That's incredible. Um, I know I got you off track there with Assisi, but I had one more question about the process of creating those podcasts. Um, you know, content creation is something that is part of any modern business, whether that's social media or podcasts or YouTube videos. And it's a topic that I often explore and with my clients, with my listeners, with myself. And what I'm curious in your experience, you know, you said that you would just turn on your mic in the morning and you would transmit those stories from the natural world. When you would sit down did you know what you were going to say or do you just get in a certain state and allow it to take over? What is the process there?
0: Well, for me, I what I do is I have a notebook and I start to, as I go through the day, like any things that come to me or things that touch me or things that I notice, I would write down. And I would Just like one simple note, you know, like beautiful encounter with a red chested cuckoo, a, you know, a list of animals that had come to the river to drink, run out of firewood, you know, just little notes like that. But what I find when I start to make notes as a writer and as a storyteller, it's almost like I start opening the channel to that, you know, that higher storyteller, that muse, that divine, that spirit intelligence. And so I start to, it starts to come out on the page in tiny little notes. And then once it's time for me to produce the episode, I really just read over the last day's notes uh, and then I just let it come as it wants to come from there. But, but it really felt to me, like it it felt like the things from my past, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear like, there's things that are happening in the day, there's little stories, and then there's things from the past and then there's little memories. And then there's little things that I've learned and that are, but it's all just it's just coming in the moment and so it's a bit of past it's a bit of future it's a bit of things i've read and and it all just seems to like i feel like it knows how to tell the story and i just need to let it tell the story and it will be given to me if i just if i just let it tell the story um and i did i did have a few days you know where like you know you can imagine you're on um you're on day 5 and you have 35 you know, days to go, which means 35 episodes. And, and, you know, you know, anyone who's creates content can be daunted by that. Like in the next 35 days, I have to get out 35 episodes. And, but it, and so there was a little bit of like small boyed fear, but then every time I kind of, every time I would sit down, I would open the notebook and the story would come, the story of the day would come. So I felt very, and actually, you know. Before I went in, there was there were quite a few people and, you know, people from my community who have various practices who were like, do not do a podcast that will ruin the retreat. And I think as a purist, yes, you know, if you were, if you were like really doing a, a, a retreat, it's probably best not to have any outside influence. But for me as an artist, I wanted to be in the creative process with it. And so I knew it wasn't like a strict, a retreat it was a, it was a creative retreat too and so and it turned out to be one of the best things i did because every day showing up sitting down going into my notebook i felt that wonderful thing that happens when a writer or a content creator starts to develop that daily discipline like you just start to feel it being given to you you're not doing it it's being given to you by some wonderful creative force and that to me felt like a very magical communion with spirit
1: I hear you. I feel like when we don't create that outer structure, it's so easy for it to slip away. And what I want to point out is there were people telling you that doing podcasting or, you know, writing would take you away from the experience. And like for this, like for anything else, there just is not one blueprint and one rule. And it's just coming back to our own inner experience and what feels right for us and our intentions. So you mentioned your, one of your intentions was making this a creative retreat and it's, it's this beautiful and powerful balance between openness and going with the flow of nature. And at the same time, having this sort of discipline.
0: I mean, I think you've said it so well there. I mean, I started getting one cause I, I was sort of, I started talking to people about it and everyone had a different opinion and everyone, you know, there were, there were. I spoke to Zen teachers who had 30 years of Zen practice who told me, this is how you have to do it. I spoke to other people who said, you know, one of the art forms is to give over how you think you should do it so that the retreat itself can show you what it wants to be. Um. So I had all of these different voices, but in the end, I realized, you know, I'm creating this experience for myself. And so I can, I must listen to those who have wisdom and I must trust that, that something in me knows how to do this. And, and then, so, so I think you're so right about that. The way you've said that is really well captured. And, and then what I started to think of is something that a friend of mine, Josh Waitzkin, always talks about. He's an expert on learning and he always describes, he describes it as creating form to leave form. So you give yourself enough structure and then somehow if you give yourself enough structure, it gives you the space to leave the structure and really surf, and really like flow with it. But something about having enough discipline is the doorway into being really free. And, and that's been my experience, like knowing that I have to show up, knowing that by like 10, 11 in the morning, I wanna be sitting down and focusing on the episode. You know, I'm gonna give myself an hour to write every day or whatever it is. But I know that just a little bit of discipline is, is actually the doorway into more freedom.
1: Thank you for answering questions that I ask in my head, but haven't said out loud, haven't formulated.
0: I love it when that happens.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think one of the other interesting aspects of what happened in your experience is that you didn't have outside, really, you know, outside reactions to your podcast outside of some little notes that I think uh, you've received, Uh, maybe even one from me. I'm not sure. But it's such a. What's what's a safe for work word? It's such a, it can be such a block to allow ourselves to take in feedback and let that lead our creative self-expression, especially with digital world, with social media. You know, I think, especially with younger generations, but not only, there's just this programming to expect feedback right away. And if it's not there, we start doubting our relevance our quality of work, everything.
0: What's your experience with that? I mean, it's, I think that, I think that one of the most amazing things about it was like, I was, I didn't have feedback. I think that, I think you're right about that. And it seems to me that anyone who gets far enough down the road realizes that if you're going to let, you know, the open platforms like be the place where you draw your sense of whether you're of whether what the quality of your work is you're mostly gonna get hurt as an artist. It seems to me that most of the artists I know have um have a trusted group of people who help them you know evolve, help them grow, help them shift their work so I think it's definitely one of the biggest challenges of being a creator in these times like and and on these different platforms personally, I feel like I've reached a point now where. I can listen back to something, I can read over something, and I can really know whether whether I'm writing from a place of truth and whether something that feels really authentic is coming out of me. And I've become, I think I've gotten good at being my own judge of that. I've I've certainly been guilty of at times trying too hard, trying to create stuff that I feel will be relevant. But I, I, I sort of know how I feel when I go over that work again. I can, I've gotten to a place where i have like attuned enough to feel like, oh, I'm trying too hard there. That, that's not quite right. And so now I just trust that I do the authentic voice, I put it out, and then I move on. You know, I really try and, I try and move on. I do not dwell on reviews and write-ups and read-ups and all that stuff. I just put my work out into the world and, and I move forward. Um, I've done my 50%, you know, and then it's up to what people do with it, where they take it. That's that's their 50%. But I just show up for my half of of getting it out.
1: Right. It's between you and the divine, not between you and whoever's meant to receive it, because we can't control that one.
0: Yeah. And I think that, that as a developing that trusted group of, of advisors, you know, people who can say to you. Cause you need that as an artist, uh, you know, I'm not saying like just trust your own work and put it out there because we all need to grow. So, you know, I've had been very lucky to have some great mentors and friends in that space who have said like, you know, there's a, there's a strong idea in here, but it's not developed enough yet. Um, I don't feel like this is strong enough yet. I don't, you know, so, so it's not being defensive. It's being really open, but with the right people and people who you feel safe with and people who you trust.
1: Before we continue, I want to share with you about Zencaster Creator Network, the sponsor of this episode. Have you ever bought anything after hearing an ad on a podcast? I know I have. Okay, this is really fascinating. One of my favorite podcast hosts of all time, send me a DM with your best guess if you want to find out who I'm talking about. So he ran an experiment in which he stopped doing ads on his show. The outcome blew him away because a massive amount of people asked him to bring back the ads. Turns out product recommendations is one of the reasons people love his show. They know that he only vouches for products that he personally tests and approves. That's been exactly my policy with ads on my podcast, and I've been so lucky to have incredibly aligned sponsors on this show. Here's another interesting fact. Podcast advertising is four times more effective than display ads for conversion. 67% of listeners remember brands they hear about, and 63% make a purchase. If you have a brand or a product that you're ready to grow, podcast ads could be an incredible thing. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster, a longtime partner of this show, now has its own creator network that makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters with aligned content and audiences. Host-read ads, like the one you're hearing right now, are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Here's the thing, you don't need to have an enormous budget. Zencaster has been running pilots and has proven that smaller podcasts, when it's the right fit, can outperform bigger ones in a variety of verticals. If you're interested in sponsoring podcast ads for your business and maybe even this show, go to zen.ai/kbp. zen.ai slash KBP short for Xenia brief podcast and fill out the contact form so that Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Okay. I'm pulling up my Boyd note on my phone here, and I've highlighted a couple of things I wanted to bring up. So one of them is you have spoken about making up a different way of living. And when you do that, the result is originality. And you've also said that living differently is the activism of today. And with that, I also want to bring up—you know—you've spoken about not listening to outside voices when you were deciding how this creative retreat would go. And not only you have done that, but other people in your family have taken a big stand for what they believe in. When I was reading Cathedral of the Wild, one thing that really struck me that I've really uh, carried with me. Is when your father and uncle started the reserve, and how much backlash there was, and how that didn't stop them from pursuing their vision of regenerating land and bringing uh, animals and creating the space for people to connect with nature and themselves. So, can you just speak a little bit about that as we spoke about where Assisi comes from? Let's hear a little bit about where Boyd comes from.
0: Sure. So, you know, I grew up on a piece of land. Uh, in the wild eastern part of South Africa. Uh, It was a piece of land that my great-grandfather bought in 1926. And he bought it at that time for two reasons. One, he was drinking gin and tonic on the day uh, that he heard about these properties that were for sale. Uh, And these farms were bankrupt cattle farms that lay east of the Kruger National Park. And one of the reasons that the farms were bankrupt was because lions had been eating all of the cattle. And my grandfather was a hunter. And he bought, in 1926, he bought this property. And for three generations, my family came here uh, to hunt. And they came here particularly to hunt lions. And then in 1969, my grandfather died. And my father and uncle who were 15 and 17 were left with the property. And all of the family advisors said to them, you know, you've got to get rid of that place. It's out in the middle of nowhere. There's lions there. Lions will bite you. It's a, just a bad idea. And something very deep inside of them knew that they that this was the place that was most special to them. And they said, "We're going to keep it." And all the family advisors said, "It's going to drain you of all your money, and your mother's already a widow." And you know, and they said, "Well, we'll make it pay." And that's how my family got into the safari business. But what was amazing about it, Ksenia, is that. My father and uncle uh, met this man called Ken Tinley, and they went through a kind of an awakening experience. And Ken said to them, if you want this place to work, you need to do away with hunting. You need to partner with the land. You need to start to restore it. And you need to think of the animals as your kin. And you need to bring the local people in so that you all work together. And they said, well, how do we restore the land? And Ken was this incredible ecologist. And he started to show them how to clear away the scrub and take away the thorn where the cattle had overgrazed the land. The scrub had come up, showed them how to clear it and how to restore the micro catchments. And as they did that, the grassland started to return and the animals started to return. And so to your original question, where does Boyd come from? From the time I was very young, what I grew up inside of is I watched the landscape being restored. I would, as a young boy, I would see, you know, a a couple of hundreds of acres of, of scrub, no animals, just this thick thorn. And then they would clear it and they would go and repair where they were losing the moisture and these deep erosion furrows. I would go back there a year later and I would see a herd of impala grazing and a rhino feeding in this beautiful open grassland. And that went into my head in, in very deep ways. And it was like I saw the possibility of what can happen when we work with nature. And I saw the power of healing. And I saw how nature's nature, when we connect with her, when we work with her is just to regenerate. And so everything in my life has been centered around that idea that there is a powerful force in the world. And there is a powerful force born of nature that wants to heal that is naturally abundant that wants to be unique that wants to that wants to express itself in new ways and so all of my work is about helping at, at every level about healing our relationship with nature helping people heal themselves and what they've been through um creating ecosystems where healing and where rejuvenation and restoration can take place so and then to tie that back to some of the quotes you were saying you know I believe that inside each one of us is a wild part of us, Ksenia, that knows what our purpose and mission is. It knows why we're here. And inside of that wild part of us is a a kind of unique, essential gift that we have to bring to the world. And what I find is that people who do the work of trying to go under the layers of all the social programming, all the conditioning, and start to tap into that place, they start to naturally express that gift. They start to do things differently. They start to follow a different path. They start to want to serve. They start to return to nature. They start to want to live more simply. They stop wanting things. They stop consuming at high levels because they're in touch with something much deeper. And so what I would say is that all of the work that I serve is to help people get in touch with that that place. Because people who touch that start living differently they start wanting different things they start creating different ways of being and and then they and then they start to show other people that that's possible i mean let's look at your uh, career for example and and the influence that you have and the impact that you have and the message that you put into the world you know what you have created you couldn't go to university to study how to get your job you know you have you've cre- you've found a whole lot of things that you're interested in you found passions, you found what you're drawn to, you followed your curiosity, you've been willing to put you know, all of these different interests together and to create something unique. And so that's what I mean. That's what I mean by following those essential gifts. You just There's no roadmap for it. And that's why I call it inner tracking. You're stringing together like a series of clues. You're starting to follow something that really a part of you knows, but there's no rational, there's no roadmap to it. There's no plan to it. You're just you're moving on a feeling and, and it's very innovative work and it's very difficult work. You know, that old, that old uh, Joseph Campbell quote of follow your bliss. It's so, it's so well quoted, but what a lot of people don't realize is that there was a second part to that. When Campbell said it, he said, follow your bliss. You may not be respected in your life, but it will be your own life. And I think it's very important to put up that second part, you know, because what he meant was if you follow this path, this follow this living on the feeling, following your bliss, following your essential gift, when he says you won't be respected, what he means is that very often society, culture, people won't understand what you're doing. They won't They won't really know what you're doing. And there may be years where you don't know what you're doing, but you will be on your own authentic path. And usually I find that really comes together, but there are times on that journey where it's difficult because there's no roadmap. There's no one to tell you, this is how you do it. Everyone's looking at you saying, what are you doing? But you, you follow it and it, and it starts to take you to a deeper place. Does that make sense?
1: Definitely not just everyone, but I sometimes look at myself and I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) But I love that you brought in that Joseph Campbell quote and that you know leads me to another principle that you have shared multiple times that really stuck with me and that I bring in when I am not sure what I'm doing which is focus on what you what life is asking of you versus what you think you should be doing so can you speak a little bit more to that one because i feel that if there's just one thing that everyone follows this is this is it
0: well, I mean, that, uh, that runs infinitely deep, right? Because what starts to happen in that space is, okay, let's say it like this. There are all of these things that you should do, right? All of these things that you should do, you tell yourself, I should really be doing this. You know, this is what would make me successful. Uh, this is how other people got successful. This is how, this is, how, this is the playbook. And then, And then there's something deeper. You know, it's like, when you start to ask yourself, okay, let's, let's give up all of the things that I should do to be successful, that it seems like other people do, and I really sit with what is being asked of me. And how do I know how to answer that question? Well, in my experience, when it, in the, when it comes to the divine, you know, one of the, no, the ways we know what is being asked of us is that it is both exciting, and scary but it makes us feel more alive when we know when you start to touch that place where it's like if i do this i'm scared to do this i don't know if i can do this i don't know where it's going i don't know if it'll if it'll take me anywhere but when i do this i feel truly alive i feel myself stretched and expanded but i feel an energy in me of like expansive aliveness joy mixed in with like the dauntingness of fear but underneath all of that i just feel more life i think that's how we know what life is asking of us cuz life always wants more life it wants to make more of itself and so you can start asking yourself like okay if i want to know what life is asking on me then ask yourself what expands you what makes you feel alive what makes you feel joyful and that's not to say that this is going to be like a picnic you know i'm just going to do what feels joyful because it will scare you to really follow that. And it will start to take you into totally unknown terrain to follow that. And you will not know sometimes what the next step is. But if you keep stepping towards that feeling, it is gonna start taking you towards a purpose that you couldn't rationally conceive of. You know, that you couldn't say, well, then I'll do this and then that'll be the right move for me at that phase of my life. And then this will be the right move for me." It's not gonna take you that way. It's taking you to a much rawer, more authentic place. And it's a great, it takes courage to follow that. And that's what I always say to people, this whole, like, I'm gonna follow my bliss thing, this whole, I'm gonna find my authentic life. You know, I'm gonna live my best life or whatever. If you really go for it, it is not for the faint hearted. You have to let go of all the structure that modern life provides you. And you have to follow a a wild, alive knowing inside of you. And that will scare you. And it's really, it's work for the brave. It's for the courageous. Uh, but it will take you. It it, it takes time, and it starts to take you into into pure originality. Because what starts, what your life starts to be, is that expression of something very unique and essential inside of you. But I guess I'm I'm guess as someone who has lived it for the last thirty seven years, you know, maybe when I was younger, I would say just follow it. It'll take you to the right place. But now I know it takes courage to to do that. You know, living living without structure and and following the feeling of life—that takes a lot of courage, Uh, and I think it needs to be acknowledged.
1: Definitely. And what I would love to touch on is how does one connect with that courage? In your experience, perhaps tools or teachers or practices—what has been impactful and expansive and empowering on your own journey to access that? And also, how much of this work is I mean, not even work, exploration is the word I want to use. How much of it is clearing out the brush and how much of it is stepping out of the way to create the space for animals to come back in, in our inner world?
0: So that's a good way of saying it. Well, you know, the, the, the strange, there's always a, if you start doing inner work, there's always kind of the big joke of it is you have to do your work. You have to do your work. You have to work out what patterns you have. You have to realize, you know, how you let yourself down. You have to realize what voices are inside of you, where you over criticize yourself. You have to realize where you don't show up. You have to be, you have to do your work. But it's a really strange thing when you've, once you've really done it, what you start to realize is that there was nothing to fix. You know, it's, it, it's again, we, I guess we're talking about form to leave form. There was nothing to fix. There was nothing wrong with you in the first place because i think a lot of people set off on this journey thinking like i want to be better but actually what inner work does is it takes you back to yourself to to let go of the need to be better and just to be you and to realize that just accepting yourself letting yourself be you is the thing that you've actually always been looking for but it's a dance it's a dance Ksenia, because we do have to do work on that journey so uh i get i'm not sure i'm saying that well but one of the things that has been one of the things that is going to happen is when you set off um, to really become your wild self, when you set off on that journey, one of the first things that will happen is you will start, the first thing that I would say is you have to tune into a different system of intelligence. And one of the ways to do that is to start noticing what happens in your body rather than living up in your head. So you might ask yourself, who are the people that make my body feel more alive when I'm with them? My energy actually feels expanded. What are the activities that when I'm doing them, I forget about time and I feel energized. I feel like I don't need to sleep. I don't need to eat. I don't need to drink. Um, Who are the people who, when I'm with them and I, and I leave them, I just have, I feel inspired and energized, not up in my head, down in my body. So I would say, start to tune into your body and read the wilderness of your body your body is a wild landscape so notice what energizes you and notice what shrinks and constricts you that's going to take you a long way to to starting to to show you who and what is very essential to you the second thing that i would say is be curious you know your curiosity is going to guide you to things that are very essentially a part of you we, we no one is curious about things that don't grab a place inside of them that is very deep. So let your curiosity guide you. And as that starts to happen, it's going to pull you towards things and you're going to start to notice like, okay, it's these people, it's these activities. These things are the things that feel most essential to me. At that point, your mind is going to come in with a whole lot of reasons why you can't just follow those things. And that is is where our limiting beliefs come in. And so a lot of inner work is about identifying the beliefs we have about ourselves that have become limitations. You know, if I leave this job, I won't have any money. Okay, that might be true, but it might be that that job is also the limitation to how much money you could make. If I leave this relationship, I'll be alone. It might be true, but it could also be that if you leave that relationship, you'll finally open yourself to the community that you've been looking for. So we have to start to identify and question those limiting beliefs. And that becomes very, very important work. And I would say that um, the work of Byron Katie, for example, is has been absolutely life-changing for me. And all it is, is you identify a thought that is causing you stress and fear, and you question that thought using her system, which is uh, four, question, uh, four questions and a turnaround. And just she, you do it as meditation, but it allows you to question your own thoughts. And that's been very powerful for me. I would say of all of the work I've done, Byron Katie's work has, is some that has unlocked me the deepest. Um, just questioning fearful limiting beliefs. And, and amazingly, as you start to question those beliefs, those limiting thoughts, you don't let them go. They let you go as you really question them and meditate in, is this, tr- is, is this thought really true? It starts to let you go and you start to, you start to be more in tune uh, less with a rational plan and more in tune with a kind of deeper knowing. And that is the place that I think we're actually looking for where you're just living, knowing what to do next, knowing what to do next. You don't need the whole plan. You just know this is the next thing I have to do. You know, like when you reached out to make this podcast, you know, it's just, okay, I know that that's, I'm going to reach out. That's the next thing to do. And here we are. So, and then in that way, life starts to unfold itself out of that very simple knowing place inside of us. And we become less laden with, you know, strategies and plans and growth strategies and all these, you know, success strategies and goals. And we just, that stuff falls away into a very clear mind that just knows what to do next, who to reach out to, where to connect, you know, what my next moves are.
1: And, by the way, just to be real here, I reached out a couple of times and I think part of what you're saying also involves trusting the divine timing, you know? It's very clear to me why this interview is happening now and not a year ago whenever we spoke first.
0: Right, so, and, but here's the thing about you that I, that I you know, so admire about you and I think it's important as someone, because to me, you know, Ksenia, you are, like you're one of the people I'm talking about I believe that the modern day activism is to make a different life up for yourself, to create a different way of being in the world. And you, and that's exactly what you've done. And you reached out a couple of times and it didn't line up and you kept reaching out because, you know, uh, as a creator, as an artist that, you know, sometimes you have to do your part and get, and not get the answer, but that doesn't that doesn't stop you doing your part, which is continuing to reach out. And then when the time is right, it lines up. And I just think that's that's in this I, I guess what I'm just really trying to impress upon people is that this work is important. Finding out who you truly are and living your your authentic life, it's important because people who find that start to just by living. They they don't try and sell anyone anything. They just by living they start to inspire other people. But it does take a kind of it takes discipline. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. You have to, you have to trust. You have to keep at your path. You have to tune into your body. You have to listen. You have to question those limiting beliefs. And it is, and you're, it, it's not like you just arrived there. It's a discipline. You keep living like that. And then life starts to meet you in different ways.
1: I receive your kind words. Thank you so much for, for seeing that. Uh, what I want to take this conversation to is twofolded. One side is what were some of the limiting beliefs that you have addressed to step on your own track, especially in your career, Well, everything is interconnected. And second one is this fine balance between co-creating with the flow of life, giving into the swirl of life, and also, you know, having some strategy, some even minimal strategy, because when you are a creator, when you write books, you have an online course coming out, there are some things that need to be done, like sending out emails and letting people know that your work is available. And I find that there is no blueprint for this, and it's different for everyone. But just hearing stories of people like you who co-create with uh, the flow of life in this new way is, is just so helpful and expansive.
0: Well, I mean, I think those two questions really touch each other, and well, a few things for me. Uh, the first was that I have had a massive structure with being grounded, and and literally, you know, my life was full of a lot of travel. I was literally in the sky a lot, but I, at a certain point, um, I was very lucky to to have. A teacher, to actually have two teachers. um, But at a certain point, one of my teachers actually said to me, You know, you're too ungrounded to create what you want to create. And I was really busy at that time, but I was not working to any kind of structure or real roadmap. It was just like whatever was coming. And so I had to ask myself, Okay, what is the area? Like, what does it mean to be grounded? It requires a certain kind of discipline. It means that you're working to some structure. It means that things are not haphazard. You, you, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And so, like for for a couple of months, I set myself, I sat in like what it would actually mean to be grounded and what I needed to do to be grounded. And the, one of the first things for me was um, <laughs> to realize that I was bad at it, and I needed people around me who were good at it to show me how it works. And so it it was, it was real, it was, it was a humbling experience because I had to go to people and say, you know, there are so many, I don't know how, how to build the structure I need and I need help. Um, I don't know how to structure things like properly beginning, middle and end. I don't know how to create a vision and then work to that vision. And so, you know, strangely, my dad, my father became a big supporter. My mentors became big supporters. And I had one or two friends who really stepped in and taught me how to build structure um so that was a big learning curve for me but I, so you you got to ask yourself you know if you're listening to this, okay, what is my area of weakness so if I looked at it like where are things not happening why aren't they happening? I'm missing deadlines um I don't know how to start that's a big one for people. I don't know how to get it out there I don't know how to distribute I don't know. So find, like ask yourself, where is it not working? And then next question, what would it look like if it was working? And who do I know who's good at the thing that I'm not good at? And can I ask them to get to help me? So that was, you know, that's an area. So I had to learn to build structures. I had to learn to work to structure. I had to work to, to be disciplined and to show up consistently in my own work. And that took about a year of being aware that this is an area that I'm bad at and I've got to keep showing up to it, asking for help. And, and then it started to integrate. And, of course, once you have the thing about structure is often once you have built the foundation, it's quite easy to plug into it. Um, and actually, the thing about a structure is that it gives you structure. So So I had to build a few things that then once they were there, I realized how easy they were to actually maintain. Um, so that's been a big learning curve for me as a as someone who has struggled to be grounded, limiting beliefs, ah, oh, multiple. Uh, does that do you think that answers the question, Casenia? Did that was that to take you there?
1: Yes, I um also to take it one notch deeper, particularly with the online world and social media. Uh, you know, finding your beginning, middle, and end there as someone who is so connected to nature. And you know, like normally I would ask what is your relationship with social media, but this time I'm I'm called to ask what is the new vision for social media that you see for the world because clearly it's not going away, but we do have the opportunity to shape at least on an individual level to start with what it can be in people's lives.
0: You know, I think that I think one of the ways of saying it is that for me it's a place to give, not to get. You know, um, it's a place where I can share rather than trying to get attention. And so that, that seems, that has seemed central. You know, I, I have loved, um, sharing stuff that is meaningful to me and that is valuable to me. And then I share it and I don't really tune in to, too much to what the response of it has been. And I thought that was one of the great things about the the podcast format too, is that, you know it's an opportunity to broadcast a frequency and then, and I do it largely for myself. I don't need to know where it's going to go, you know, where it's going. I'm not lost in, are we building the right numbers? Are we, I just know that that's a way I like to put a voice for nature into the world. So I think it's, I think it's a tool. I think that it is, there's opportunities in it, but I mean, I'll give you one quite practical example. I don't have Instagram. On my phone, uh, and even just that is a, is a wonderful thing if I really want to post something, you know I can take a picture of it and I can post it when I'm sitting at my computer um, just a little like a little tweak like that has been like really powerful, and I know you know many people would say you have to be in the moment, et etc, but for me, I want to be thoughtful about what I share I don't need to share every moment, and that's just like changes my relationship with it immediately but I'm pro- I'm probably getting off track.
1: No, you're actually very uh, on track because you're speaking to social media being an opportunity to broadcast your frequency and give. And I think just even that reframe changes so much because if you Google, you know, anything about social media, what it will give you is tips and tools and strategies of how to grow, how to make money, how to get followers. Well, what if we remove the get part and focus on the gift just as an experiment you know for a week i'm going to take this on and i'm going to invite everyone listening to take this on just for a week what if all you do when you show up online is give and uh that sounds exciting
0: yeah yeah and uh and the other thing is i guess i i share, you know what i want to put out is things that feel that i feel artistically genuinely connected to and that's another place where i you know like if i'm going to put out a podcast it's like i really I want to feel like this is a piece of creation that I was really proud to put into the world. I'm not just, you know, in that place of like, it's a hungry bird. We've got to, we've got to keep getting content out there. It's like, I want, I want to make sure that it's something that I still feel connected to Uh, limiting beliefs, you know, to, to segue into the limiting beliefs I've had. The wonderful thing about the mind is that it will keep throwing out limiting beliefs at you. And, you know, you you name you name it, I've I've had them. Um, but when I have a limiting belief, you know, uh things aren't moving faster, things aren't growing fast enough. Okay. The first thing I do is I write I write it down, things aren't growing fast enough. And then I ask myself, is it true? And I sit in meditation and I wait for the answer. Is it true that things aren't growing fast enough? And then I write down, and this is from Katie's work, what happens how do I react when I believe the thought? And I write, I'm anxious. I, I get down on myself. I start to criticize myself. I start to lash out at the people on my team that things aren't moving fast enough. I feel like I don't have enough. I find this place inside of me where it's never enough. I start to feel like um, the world needs to move faster to make me happier. I judge myself for not doing enough. I don't rest. And I just watch who I am when I'm believing that thought. I watch it. I don't judge it. I just notice how I show up in the world when I'm really believing that thought. Then I write the next question is Who would I be without the thought? Things aren't growing fast enough. Who would I be without the thought? I would be calm. I would be peaceful. I would be moving things forward with clarity. I wouldn't be judging myself all the time. And so there'd probably be more space for creativity. I wouldn't be criticizing. I would be having more faith in the speed at which spirit wants things to happen rather than the speed at which void wants things to happen. I would be in a more open, uh, relaxed state. I would be in a more creative state. Things would probably start to move faster, you know? And then the final question is uh, the final thing she advises you to do is you turn it around. Things are moving fast enough. And then I sit in that things, you know, why are things moving fast enough? Because they're always going to go at their own pace because you can't, you know, you push a whole lot of things and nothing happens. And then one thing opens up. So I just sit in those questions. And what what happens is, is when you sit in those questions and you watch the mind like that, the mind starts to rest into itself. It's not like saying, stop thinking that thought. Instead, I've invited that thought in and I've got to know it. And I've got to know how that thought drives me. And I've loved that thought actually as I've sat and got to know it. And then that thought lets me go. Obviously, it, it's never helpful just to say, stop thinking that because the mind has its own way. But some, somehow when we invite a thought in and we actually take time to sit with it, it really, it really moves the dials. And yeah, I think, uh, I think you would really like uh, some of her work. I think, you, I think you would get a lot out of it.
1: You know, every time I hear about it or I've experienced it at retreats and events or podcasts, I make a note of how powerful it is. And I've moved a lot of my own blocks through it, but then I forget. So thank you for bringing it back. Uh, It's perfectly timed. So as someone who lives between wilderness and also travels around the world sharing your work, what does connecting with nature look like to you when you are not in the wilderness? And perhaps what is, what would you recommend to someone who's listening to this and is wondering, okay, but what might that connecting to nature look like for me? What do I do? What's the practical step?
0: Oh, such a great question. Well, you know, I will say that the wildest journey you'll ever go on is to get in touch with your unique gift, your unique essence, your unique medicine, and then start expressing it in the world. And in some very strange and fascinating and beautiful way, when we, when we find that and we start sharing it, we are deeply connected with that same creative force that is the natural world. And so when I'm traveling, when I'm on the road and I'm, you know, I'm in New York and I'm in LA and I'm in San Francisco and I'm in London and I'm in a big urban city, but I know that I'm connected with that creative force because I'm doing the work I'm meant to be doing. And I feel deeply connected with that. And, and, and I feel like I'm I'm involved in the restorative power of nature because wherever I go, we're telling stories of healing and we're gathering in healing and we're, we're creating more connection, which is the natural way of the world. So for me in a strange way, Ksenia, doing, being engaged in the truest nature of my work is a way to be in tune with nature. So that's one way. And then the other thing that I do is that, you know, we've gathered in this way when people come together and and heal together there's a beautiful powerful natural force that comes into the room and it's an ancient I, i think of the healing i think of healing energy as one of nature's oldest energies you know and when that comes in the room when we're really with each other without pretense when we're not all trying to pretend when everyone actually just drops and the and the healing work starts and people start to let go of all the standards of society that they've held themselves to something so beautiful happens and i know that beauty to be wild and and mysterious and it looks exactly to me when people heal together it looks exactly to me like the harmony that i see in the natural world and so so i follow that and what i would say to anyone who wants to live a wild life is find your gifts and share them And you will be deeply in tune with something natural. Mic drop. (laughs) Uh, It's so nice to talk to you.
1: It was wonderful, Boyd. Before we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share?
0: Well, the one thing is, is that in the next couple of weeks, I'll I'll reach out to you again. We're going to launch, I'm launching a, it's an introduction to what I call tracking your life. And I'm really excited about it because it's just a way for people to go inward and start the process of, of identifying, uh, simplifying and stilling themselves and, and getting more in tune with that place. So um, I'm really excited to share that with people and I'll let you know when that's coming out and, and I hope that people will, will, will get a lot out of it as they begin this journey.
1: And in the meantime, what would you say are the best ways to connect with your work?
0: Uh, the best ways are on boydvati.com. Um, you, I've written two books, which you can get there. The first is called Cathedral of the Wild. And the second is called The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. So um, both of them, you know, explore these dimensions of connection. Oh, now another bird is calling. That's that's a purple-crested lurry. Um And and then so through the book and then through the p- podcast, which you can get on on all of the channels, which is, the Track Your Life podcast with Boyd Vati. And there's going to be some, uh, probably a, a new, a new, uh, early next year, I'm going to do another adventure, which I'll be sharing with people probably around February of next year too.
1: Ooh, is it something that others can join you on or is that going to be
0: solo? Uh, it's going to be solo and it's just forming at the moment. So I'll I'll reach out and tell you more once I, once I know exactly what it's going to look like.
1: Definitely. Uh, one of my, what's on my vision board with my friend Jasmine, who introduced us and our friend Hillary is uh, to actually visit Londalozzi. So I hold that vision that uh, I'll be hearing those birds in person one day, experiencing the magic of everything.
0: I know it to be true. I know it to be true. It'll be amazing to to have the three of you out here and share this place with you.
1: Thank you so much, Boyd. Have a wonderful evening and thank you so much for modeling, sharing your medicine with the world.
0: Thank you, thank you so much for having me. I really, uh, it's lovely to connect again.
1: Boyd's I know it to be true ended coming true way sooner than I thought. And what I wanna leave you with is this quote from Boyd's book, The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. Wilderness is a relationship with aliveness. You can't think your way to a calling. It's not rational. Learn how your body speaks, how you know what you know, and the inner track of your feelings, sensations, instincts. Learn to track a deeper, wiser place inside yourself. And remember, losing your track is part of tracking. When you get lost, go back to the last clear track and know that only you will recognize the set of clues by the aliveness they bring out in you. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.